The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. I'm Maura Ahrens-Mealy, and this is The Anxious Achiever. We look at stories from business leaders who have dealt with anxiety, depression, or other mental health challenges, how they fell down, how they picked themselves up, and how they hope workplaces can change in the future. Media and entertainment isn't always the easiest on our mental health. Every day we're presented with images of people whose lives seem perfect or who always seem to be happy. It can be overwhelming. On the other hand, we seem to take some sort of pleasure in watching the messiness on reality TV. And yet, we often avoid the messiness in our own lives. But media and entertainment have incredible power to show people that there are others out there who feel just like them and to shift the conversation and dialogue around once taboo issues. Later in the show, we'll speak to a listener of The Anxious Achiever, Andrew Sotomayor. He's an Emmy award-winning makeup artist who reached out to me to tell me how much the show means to him as someone who struggles with anxiety and depression. But first, I want my MTV. I speak with Chris McCarthy, president of MTV Entertainment Group, which includes not just MTV, but Comedy Central, VH1, Pop, and other channels. McCarthy has realized how important creating a more mentally healthy culture is in television. And he recently, with industry partners, released a mental health media guide. In our conversation, we talk about the power and privilege creative and entertainment industries really have when it comes to our mental health. And we talk about Chris's own personal struggles that made him the leader he is today. Well, so let's just start out. Tell us a little bit about yourself. First of all, how does one, I mean, I'm a child of MTV. I grew up in the 80s and 90s. How does one get to be president of MTV Entertainment Group? <laughs> uh, a, a, a big dream and, and, a, and a lot of hard work and, 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 a, and a ton of luck. Uh, I, I started the company, gosh, almost almost 20 years ago as a freelancer, um, just trying to, trying to get in after I graduated from uh, uh, a Wharton MBA and, uh, and then slowly worked my way up. Were, so were you the kind of kid who was media obsessed? Like was, was your vision to work in TV or media? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, TV for or and content for all of us, I think is it's a it's a window into another world. Being a being a, a young kid growing up in Philadelphia, uh, you know, who was gay but not out, you know, I was always looking for uh, escapes in different worlds and you know, trying to experience new things. And content really is that is the amazing window into into the world, truly, uh, and into different characters, experiences. And you know, once once I realized it was a profession, I was I, I said that's the job I want. And uh, and did everything I could to get there. Can you talk about what your job actually is and what what MTV is in a way that viewers will understand? Absolutely. So uh, it's MTV Entertainment, which um, which consists of nine brands. So it's everything from MTV to VH1 to Comedy Central, Paramount, Smithsonian, Pop, CMT, 
uh, or the positioning is it's we really target subcultures that drive mass culture. And uh, it's of course it's it's our origins of the linear channels, but um, but really where it is is our social reach, our digital reach, and our streaming. And we make content under those brands for ourselves. We make it for our partners. Uh, take for example, Emily in Paris is an MTV uh, MTV Entertainment Studio show. You know, we made it, and uh, and we knew Netflix was the perfect home for it. So you know, we have we have an expansive uh, expansive uh, team and and creative where we're developing content for. Uh, and now much more for our own streaming service, Paramount Plus. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and then it's not just the U.S., but it's around the world. So we're at about 180 territories uh, around the world, uh, reach of about 2 billion uh, young people. Our sweet spot is really 18 to 34. Uh, are you an anxious person, would you say? Um, anxious? Not, not necessarily anxious. I think around mental health, I've struggled with, with my own version of depression, but anxious is not has not been one of my uh, traits. You know, it, it, I think I grew up depressed and I didn't realize it until I had fully formed into an adult. Um, and uh, my father had passed away. You know, he battled cancer for, for, for five years. And I would cut, he, he still lived in Philadelphia and I would take him, um, I would drive down to Philadelphia, take him to chemo once a week. And, you know, growing up, uh, I didn't really, I didn't feel like I knew my father. Uh, he was very much a heavy drinker. And so he wasn't around much. Uh, he, of course, he lived with us, but he wasn't physically around with us. He was always at, at the bar. And so when he uh, when he got cancer, he got sober. Hmm. And it was such a wonderful, uh, joyous experience to uh, meet this person who was my father for the first time and get to experience, you know, who he is and the way he thinks. Uh, and, you know, I really I really came to love my dad. And, uh, and when he passed, it, it was traumatic for me in the sense of, um, you know, as a child of an alcoholic, when a crisis hits, I'm the guy you call, hmm. but six months after that crisis ends, you know, is when you start to, you start to process things for yourself and when you, you know, start to take care of yourself. But, uh, in that place I, I was, I was definitely in a different spot and it was first time I started to go to therapy and, uh, and even antidepressants for, for a short period of time. And, uh, and then once, you know, I, once I started to get out of it, I realized I'm like, wow, I, I, the antidepressants helped me to get into a very different spot that was better than where I was, uh, prior to my father passing. And that's, that's then when I realized, you know, I think myself, I think my family grew up in a, in a, in a depressed environment. And, you know, I'm so thankful, uh, that I actually have come to realize that. And now I'm very mindful of it. And how to how to do things to make sure that I don't get back into that spot. So why did you feel that MTV Entertainment had a role in openly tackling the issue of how we talk about mental health? Growing up in MTV, we we talk about you know the mission really is to everything from escapism to activism, and you know content is the ability to give someone not only entertainment. But it's the ability to give them the gift of, you know, empathy, understanding, and, and and the ability to walk another day in someone's shoes. And you know, when it's at its best, we're not only entertaining, but we're engaging and we're really empowering our audiences. You're also like modeling what's cool for young people. That you know, it's that you know, that's that's what we try. I don't I don't know that we try to be cool as much as we try to um, we try to open minds. 
you know, and, ta- and take you to new spaces and new places to, to see new worlds. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as a general thesis, you know, we love creating content that is about young people. I mean, MTV itself, you know, created reality television. And I think people wrongly think, you know, reality television has, you know, ha- has a negative on culture. And what, that, what most people don't really understand is reality television is, it is a pop art amplification of real life. You know, it's like, it's like, you know. <laughs> now that is a term of art. I really like that. A pop art amplification of real life. Yeah. I mean, you know, Trump and the Trump movement was happening. The Apprentice just amplified it. But there's no way a TV show has that kind of power that could, you know, it's like that, that was happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, so are we always tried to, um, you know, everything from the very beginning, whether it was, you know, air, airing Live Aid or whether it was exposing people to new artists or new worlds, you know, even when we went global, I think it was in like 1986 or seven or 85. Um, I mean, uh, uh, Vanity Fair credited us with helping to end the Cold War, <laughs> you know, and it's a, just by connecting young people together and seeing, you know, we were literally the first uh, social network mm-hmm. and the first youth, global youth brand. And, you know, when people start to see difference in their world, all of a sudden they, they open their minds and they want to get curious and they learn. And, and we, we firmly believe that, you know, young people are, are there are a future and yet with every generation the world gets better the world gets more diverse it gets more open-minded it gets more creative and and our role in that is to is to amplify and show the world what's about to come so where does mental health fit in well you know it, it's a great question so we, we started on mental health about 15 years ago uh really and we started to see yeah when we, we we launched the first uh first ever mental health campaign called half of us and this is when I was working uh, on our MTV uh, U brand, which, which at the time was a college, uh, uh, college network. Mm-hmm. And uh, we did research and we found that over the course of a year, over half of the college population felt uh, that they were having, you know, depressed at least one day a year. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and so at that time, what we realized is, you know, we really need to destigmatize what mental health is. It's not you know, it's not the over amplifications that people talk about it. It's, it's no different than physical health. You know, when you think about a professional athlete, you know, how many coaches does a professional athlete have to get them to be the best shape they are? Right. A lot. And a lot. Right. And when you think about, you know, your biggest organs and your biggest muscles, your brain is there. Mm-hmm. And yet we, we think it's just going to take care of itself without any exercise, without any, you know, occasional professional help or, or, the ability to, you know, self-reflect, to process and think about, you know, what it is and where you're going and what your aspirations are and just taking a moment of peace for yourself. And around the time of the, you know, when social media uh, uh, really began to take off yeah, is when we really started to see the rise of mental health. In terms of self-reported and, and issues and, and people saying that they have, um, you know, whether it's anxiety, it's depression, eating disorders. You know, and, and social media is wonderful in the, in the sense that it gives us a window into the world, but it's also incredibly uh, pressure. If you are a young person, you're growing up in that. All of a sudden, the classroom, you know, is in your home, you know, and, and so we really began to see the, the rise of it back then. And we've been on the topic. We partnered with the Jed Foundation back then, which is one of the leading uh, uh, mental health organizations, particularly for young people. And, we, and we've had it throughout all of our programming, whether it was exploring, you know, characters, uh, mental health in some of our shows, uh, or whether it was, you know, tackling, uh, you know, suicide with logic, uh, performance on the BMAs or, 
you know, whether it was uh, specials when Demi Lovato and Macklemore and others that were struggling with it, we, we turned the cameras on to hopefully, you know, provide a story and to help people understand. And one of the big trans- transformative moments for us, um, you know, about, a, about two years ago, we were covering a storyline in one of, our, one of our hit shows, Black Ink, and one of the characters was genuinely struggling with mental health. And we said, you know, how do you want to handle this? Do you want to cover it or do you want, to, you want us to not pretend like it's, you know, we, we can easily not cover the topic? And, and he was incredibly brave and the cast was as well. And so we brought a team of experts in to help us, um, to help us tell Ryan's stories to make sure that we would do it positively. And uh, at the end of the series, we did, a, um, uh, we did a, an after show, but it was really a roundtable around mental health. And we had tens of thousands of calls into the suicide hotline. And it also happened to be one of the seasons with our highest, our highest viewership ever. The thing that we, we realized is every time we had an issue, we had to go consult new resources or new experts. And they all are, were fantastic, but they were all very academic. Mm. And, you know, as creatives, uh, to be able to, you know, understand and that, you know, digest what an academic is saying and how can I translate that into commercial content at times can be challenging. Mm-hmm. And we realized there was no resource. We said, well, maybe that's, we'll, 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 we'll start to create something and just for our own teams. And then along those times, Annenberg uh, came out with a study about diversity in programming. Mm-hmm. This is U- U- USC Annenberg um, at the University of Southern California, right? The research center. Yes, thank you. And, and then they also did something around mental health. And when I saw the report, I thought it was fantastic. Uh, but I realized um, they didn't include unscripted. Uh, MTV itself created reality television in, in 1986 with the launch of The Real World. And so a big portfolio of our uh, content is unscripted. You know, unscripted content is real life. And they didn't include reality television. And so we partnered with them and said, listen, we, we, we feel a sense of responsibility because we created the category uh, that we would like to have all of our programming, uh, you know, all of our programming braided. Uh, because we want to make sure that we're doing good uh, and at the very least not doing any harm. And so they watched all of our shows over the course of about, I think it was a little over a year, and they were fantastic to work with. And then they gave, a, gave us a diagnosis of each of the shows. <laughs> and it was at that moment that we said, you know what, this is it. We can, we're going to commit to 100% of our shows will not, have, will not make a negative impact on mental health. And we, we committed to doubling the number of stories that were going to be positive portrayals of mental health. Because it was so much work to build this guide, you know, we decided to, to think about how do we actually broaden this. And then the pandemic hit. And you know, during the pandemic, you know, uh, all the media companies were being asked to uh, help alert audiences to you know, go into quote-unquote lockdown uh, back you know, last March. And uh, our, our, our social team came up with this amazing idea, simple, but it was uh, hashtag alone together. Uh, our, our broader company, Viacom CBS, loved it, and they took it on and used it across all of our screens from CBS to, uh, you know, to Showtime, all, all, all of our brands. And then, uh, and then the ad council loved it as well, and they brought it across the industry. And, uh, and together, we as a media coalition helped to you know, alert people to go into some form of lockdown more than, you know, a, a, a more than just the news. Mm-hmm. You know, there's an incredibly large population that doesn't watch the news. And, uh, and it, was at the, it was a combination of those two things that we realized 
you know what, there, there's power in coalitions and, and there's power in, in sharing this wealth and this knowledge that, that we built with, with, with an awesome team of experts and creatives. To help anyone who's creating content speak more uh, neutrally, right? More inclusively about various kinds of mental illness and mental wellness. Um, I'm thinking back to a class, I think a classic example that gets uh, in the research I've read about, about MTV and mental health is Jersey Shore, right? And there were a lot of couples screaming at each other, you're a psychopath and you're crazy and you should be sent away to an institution and blah, blah, blah. And so there was a lot that maybe wasn't that helpful in how all reality TV talks about mental illness. Can you talk a little bit about that? What are some shows that got a bad, a bad rating from USC Annenberg and what and why? You know, all stories, whether they be scripted, unscripted, in order for it to be a good story or, or something interesting to want to get through, there has to be a tension point and a conflict. Um, so, so, you know, reality television is no different than scripted television and than any other type of content that is going to have an arc to it, which, uh, there needs to be some conflict. And the difference with reality is the conflicts happen on their own and you're, you're taping them. Um, and so, you know, I think what we've learned today is first and foremost, take a big step back. And, you know, the other thing, a lot of things Jersey Shore is known for, but it, you know, one of the lines is, uh, Jim, Jim Tan laundry you know, GTL. And, you know, had we been making the show back then with this knowledge, you know, we probably would have explored some of the conversations and had the, the cast think about, you know, why are you going to the gym? Like, does that help, you know, and have that naturally and organically come out? Like, I, I'm, I need a day, I need a break, I need a moment. Wait, wait, wait. Okay, but let me just pause here. Because like, Jersey Shore, no one watched Jersey Shore to get edified. I mean, I think a lot of reality TV we watch it to see people who are free to express the things that sometimes we aren't, that we may feel, oh. and yet we we can't do. A hundred percent. And I would say that's no different than mental health. I mean, I think 16 and Pregnant, you know, it, it was a top five show. I don't think people thought they were watching that show to be, you know, educated on. Uh, no, but they want to see dangerous- people being train wrecks, right? Where's what is that? You know, I I think they want to see people in in a, in a real struggle, and a lot of people have empathy towards that, and they want to see uh, uh, stories of triumph. Um, but the the numbers would would tell you that that show was one of the singular factors that helped to lower teenage pregnancy because we showed it true, we mm-hmm. showed it authentic, and the the show came out the same time the movie Juno came out, and you know, scripted content is wonderful, and we love it. It is just a certain version. Mm-hmm. When you tell a real story in a doc or an unscripted series, it pulls people in in a different way that scripted can't mm-hmm. because it's real. Mm-hmm. And you can develop a different kind of relationship with someone. Um, and so, you know, Jersey Shore was, you know, at its best was an amazing fun ride. And you got to experience what it is like to be at a beach house uh, mm-hmm. with, you know, your new friends and what it's like to live life as a young person and you know, really explore your life and have fun. Over the course of the series, as the cast got older, they also had real, they're real humans. They're real people. Mm-hmm. They're, they're actually wonder. Most of them are wonderful people. And, you know, take, for example, Vinny. Vinny had and still struggles with anxiety. Mm-hmm. You know, so we, we would make sure that he had mental health days, but we didn't talk about it on the show like that. It was just a safety precaution that we did to make sure that 
he was in his best space. Today, we would talk about that. And that doesn't take anything away from the show. And it doesn't make that show a pro-social or an education piece. But what it does do, it makes it more authentic. It makes it more real. And that actually shows with audiences, they want to connect with authenticity today more than ever. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about language because it's interesting. My producer, Mary, just messaged me and said, maybe we reframe your use of the word train wreck. Maybe we should use another word. I myself just used a kind of uh, like derogatory term. And I was thinking about how casual we are with language that concerns mental illness, right? We are, we throw it around all the time, right? I am totally schizo. I was going nuts last night. That person is crazy. She's a, why, why, A, why do we do that? And are you seeing that change? I know you, this is one of the efforts of your mental health and mental wellness guide at, at MTV networks, but like, how are you as executives and creatives trying to help people be more mindful of language as part of this? Absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, it's no different than anything that's new. Mm -hmm. You know, I I think about um, growing up when I was a kid, it's like there were very few, if if any, gay stories on TV. And if they were, they weren't necessarily positive. You know, and there were terms like, you know, pardon my language, but terms like or, or fat that were being used. Now today, fast forward. Even in one of the most classic MTV songs, Dire Straits, right? Money for Nothing, which was like one of the first big videos. Exactly. And, you know, fast forward today, we, we know so much more, right? And we know how terrible that terminology is and what that does to somebody. And once you know that, it changes everything. And now today, thankfully, we see LGBTQ plus characters on movies, shows, TV, you know, all over and no more than it's represented, you know, in real life. But we, and we all know LGBTQ uh, um, friends now, you know, and because we have reflected that in content, it has allowed people to be their true self and not be ashamed, not feel destigmatized and not feel like they have to hide a piece of themselves. And how wonderful is that? You know, and, and so mental health is no different in the sense of, you know, the step one is proper representation, you know, and step two is, you know, when, when there is an extreme, you know, is there a different way to change the language? You know, like, you know, we're, we're talking about language that's at the absolute extreme and we don't want to change what's actually happening, but you know, to you, we won't be using things like, you know, psychotic, mm-hmm. you know, that, that's not, that's not language that's helpful. So, you know, starts with us training our cast members, you know, when they're going into a show, like these are the no, no words. Do you, you, know, do you also do that stuff. as part of for executives and managers and just people who work behind the camera? Uh, we, we, we are. Yeah, absolutely. And, and we go through an extensive training with our producers and our production partners. And, and this is, you know, material and things that we've been doing for years, whether it was race, whether it was sexuality, whether it was gender. You know, so this for us is just another level to that. You know, MTV pioneered the teachable moment in real life with the real world and the challenges, you know. And the things that we did back then, we would never do today. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise. 
a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. A promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by HubSpot. More to-dos, less time, and so many tools to keep track of. Doing business can be hard, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You just need HubSpot. Their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this. Higher quality leads, fast closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark breaking quarters. It's not a miracle. It's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today. Take a minute and talk a little bit about how MTV, did you work on The Real World? Was that a project you were involved with? Uh, not in the beginning. I, 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 uh, I, thankfully, I was, I was much younger. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I was watching it. But uh, Pedro, for example, was the first time I got to see a real life gay person. Really? And, you know, he was young. He was cute. He had a boyfriend. And, you know, to me, that was mind blowing. Yeah. Like, what is that? And, 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 and how do I do that? And, you know, and it's a window into the world. I mean, you think about that original cast, you know, this is what, probably 35 years ago. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Think about 35 years ago. First of all, the majority of Americans, overwhelming majority of Americans didn't know a gay person and gay marriage was totally off limits. Well, they didn't know Most an out gay know- person. Correct. Thank you. Correct. They also didn't know a di- diverse person. They also hadn't been to a city. They w- thought of you know, Idaho and the center and Iowa and, you know, is an all American person, you know, so those cast members moving from, you know, those middle States into New York city was, was the way many people first experienced the city <laughs> in real life. It was also the way many people experienced difference, you know, an African-American character, a gay character, someone from a different world. And, you know, that was, was so revolutionary about what 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 the team created was you were dealing with real life you know issues in and watching the cast work it out and that was all teachable moments for people and they didn't think it was teachable but it actually helped us to learn how to actually understand difference and learn and you know part of why we actually canceled the show uh, is not because it wasn't performing well it was doing phenomenal we we canceled it or stop I shouldn't say canceled we stopped doing it mm-hmm. Because reality television had gone to a different level. Mm-hmm. And the idea of a house-based reality show that didn't involve a competition or a dating show um, required an intense amount of conflict that this show, the DNA of it was not that. It wasn't to be to manufacture conflict. It was to genuinely tape real lives and see what real young people in different cities, how they're living their lives. We have a hard time with conflict in our culture, I think, generally. Healthy conflict, because conflict is the most natural human emotion. Anyone who is in a relationship with anybody else, be it their coworker or their parent or their spouse, is going to have a conflict. And I would say that we need to learn how to better and better have conflict, like better. I would totally agree. So what's the role? What can... What can reality TV do to help model, given that we love the conflict in reality TV, it's part of the reason why we're drawn to it. What, what can you do? What are you thinking about when I say that? How can reality TV help us be better at difficult conversations and conflict? Well, 
It's a great question, and I think I think all television can, mm. um, even in even in the the wording or all content can. I think in the, even in the wording of the question, it's like we project onto reality television what we perceive it to be. What is really it's a reflection on life. Well, which is, uh, is the let, let me just add one more thing. Like, I mean, think about how reality TV is used every day. People make gifs, gifs of our favorite characters reacting and post them on social media. And like, that's how I consume so much reality imagery, frankly, is all my favorite characters having big reactions on social media. And, and, and I would argue that they, you're sending them or receiving them because they resonate with you because of an emotion within you. Yeah. They can convey it in a single image. A hundred percent. I mean, when you think of, life or day every every day and maybe conflict i think is the maybe think about it life is full of tensions and choices oh yes you know and and and, you know any good therapist will tell you without conflict you'll never get closer with your loved one Mm -hmm. because through conflict you get into deep understanding of where someone really is and and you know to, to take a line from the real world it's like it's what happens when things start getting real and to get to conflict is to really understand where people are. And it's not a negative thing. I think that's also probably a misconception. It's like to get into conflict is to care is to actually want to understand or, or express because someone is hurting you or some, or you don't like something or you love something and, and, and to take that next deeper step, you know, so is where real intimacy occurs. And so I think where all television and all content and, and reality television included can do that is we can model that by showing how do con- how do you work through conflict or how do you in real life, if a character says, you know, to, 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 to use your words, you know, a train wreck, another character calls another person a train wreck, you know, a version this time might be for that character to talk about how that hurts them, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and to work through that conflict with a character. And, and that's how we will model that, you know, and that's, that's the beauty of content. I mean, when you think about today, how wonderfully diverse so much programming is and, and how much more, you know, gender balance there is still a ton more to go, but it is so much better than when we started 20 or, you know, 40 years ago for the entire industry. But that happened because people started to acknowledge that the world was changing and real life is what it is. And when we think about where content can be in, five, 10 years, particularly as it relates to mental health. I think, you know, we collective as an industry can make a huge difference um, with that. Pardon me. Hold on one second. Someone's at my door. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think that showing that people can, can fight and show their true feelings and still hug it out in the end is, is, is something powerful that our favorite characters can bring us, you know? Well, we'll link up the guide, um, in the show notes, and also the Jed Foundation, which you mentioned, which is a fantastic resource for young people struggling um, with mental illness. But um, Chris McCarthy, I just want to thank you very much. Thank you so much. This was, it was really wonderful to chat with you, and, and I appreciate the time. Our next guest is someone who also works in the media and entertainment world but in a very different role. He works as a makeup artist. He reached out to me a few months back to share how the show had affected him as someone who was always striving for something more. He spent several years working at Saturday Night Live and more recently on the TV show Pose, which we'll talk about. 
And I was really excited to hear from him, a listener of the show, about how he now thinks about his anxiety, depression, and his success. Hi, Andrew. Hi, Maura. Thank you for having me. Oh my gosh, your email that you sent a while back was just uh, so absorbing and gripping and compelling. <laughs> and I just, I was so excited to talk to you. And first of all, I, I have to just pull out a quote. I want you to tell us your story. But one of my favorite favorite things that um, you put in this in this letter that you wrote to me was that you said, while I was working late on my computer one night, a former boyfriend told me, you know, I don't need you to be a celebrity to love you, right? <laughs> uh, why, why would he say that to you? Well, there was there was a lovely a lovely guy that I was I was with for for about a year and a half, and we were engaged to be married, as a matter of fact. And I was at a slightly a couple years ahead point in my career, and I had been working with celebrities for celebrities. I had been interviewed as a makeup artist for a lot of different magazines. I had this whole other career path in, in my previous life that I was working towards of being like a Broadway actor. So there was a certain degree of fabulousness that I had planned for my life. And there was also a certain degree of pressure of just knowing that I was, um, you know, a little bit more advanced of the breadwinner uh, in our in our mm -hmm. coupling and there were times where it would get late at night and maybe he and our roommate would watch a horror film and i'd be feverishly working on my computer or that he would be ready to go to bed and he wanted me to come join him and go to sleep and you know for us to be the last things that we saw on our pillows before falling asleep but i felt so much pressure to be um a professional to be established to be successful to build the life for us and also to just get this sort of outside validation i think from the world and from the press <laughs> that i was mm -hmm. um creating a name for myself in the beauty industry and just that i was valid and the crazy thing about that is that i was seeking outside of my small apartment for this type of validation from an industry that's so based on perception and who's the flavor of the moment, as opposed to looking right there at this beautiful man staring back at me saying, baby, come to bed. Right. Who's saying, I love you. Like, I, I validate you. I think you're worthy. And I don't and, even have and, to ask and, for it. And yet here. Nope. <laughs> yep. And and you don't see it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, it's funny. I, I can very much relate to that. And, and I can I can also relate to the idea of the fabulousness. I, I too um, just had this big vision for my life always. You know, it yeah. was, I don't even know where it came from. It just that's how it was going to be. Well, I think that that's that's in my case some of the American dream and some of the dream of being the son and the grandson of immigrants. It's like you you come mm -hmm. to this country to build a better life for yourself and for future generations, and that is a pressure that was you know, put upon me ever since I was a little kid and, and understanding how my grandfather came from nothing and how I had all the benefits and all the opportunities in the world. And so meeting that um, is, is something that you never, I, I can never forget. And I would add, I think that's why I respond so much to the people that you interview on your show, because I think there's a sort of stereotype in this world, and, and it's, it's true for fashion, it's true for beauty, it's true for film, it's true for social media, that 
the people who are strong and confident and outgoing and who believe in themselves are the ones who are successful. And that's not necessarily true. There are a lot of incredibly <laughs> successful people, a lot of incredibly accomplished people or busy people who then go home at night and need an hour and a half to unwind, <laughs> to calm our minds, to or or need you know a big breakfast, a good night's rest, and you know maybe some CBD vitamins to help us like get started in the morning and have the focus to do what it is that we're so good at, but to make sure that we deliver that every single time. You are an Emmy winning makeup artist. You. It's interesting. You 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 told me that you worked on Saturday Night Live for eight seasons, and I when I think of SNL stars, many of whom we know, you know, in in our culture, who are both so tragic sometimes and so always remarkable. I, I, I can imagine that room is full of anxious achievers. Um, you have a, you have an incredible incredible career. Can you just give us give us a snapshot of your history? And and then tell me why you reached out, why you wanted to to talk to the audience. Well, I went to college for musical theater, and I thought I was going to be a Broadway actor and uh, a dancer and a singer. And um, what I quickly realized is that um, my side gig of working in department stores behind makeup counters was really where I thrived. And I think some of that was from the transactional nature of retail, pun intended, um, where you you go in, you are friendly to someone who's looking for help, and you solve a couple of quick problems they have as far as you know having to, how to look their best, and then suddenly you've got a new temporary fast friend, and somebody goes about their day, and you made somebody's day better. And as a shy kid, um, this was something that I very much leaned into and enjoyed, and compared to sitting at Actors' Equity, waiting, hoping to get in to, to be, to, to, to dance or do the audition. Um, there was, But also kind of signing up for rejection, I would imagine. <laughs> Very much so. Auditioning, yeah. Oh, completely. It's, it's. I think Barbara Corkin said that the best, the best real estate brokers in her company are the ones who are um, just the ones who are the best at taking the hit and best at taking rejection. And yeah. what I found is that I, with beauty and with makeup and with, with retail, I was really good at just um, saying, oh, that's it for now. Great. Fabulous. We'll start with what you got. And I loved that. And I just leaned into that world. And, and very quickly, people realized at the time that I was I was good at makeup and I was good at um, getting inside people's brains and decide, figuring out what is they wanted and selling that to them. And so I just kind of decided to swim with the current. And, and those makeup jobs started coming a lot faster than the actor jobs did. And... The opportunity to be uh, received well and not rejected was very much something that a young adult like myself wanted wanted to to, to pursue. Um, I didn't want to work that hard to feel accepted. Um, but then, as you fast forward years on, I, I ended up working doing a lot of red carpet. I did twenty two seasons of New York Fashion Week, so there was always this this um, sure constant rejection, but also great validation that came with the more advanced years of my career. And what I've sort of discovered now is that I think the thing that surprises people the most about the Emmy win and what that did for my career is that it wasn't about suddenly getting all kinds of new jobs or getting tons of press. What really changed the most and benefited my career is that I 
have this little statuette or this big statuette on my dresser that whenever I see it, it's this unrevocable proof that I have for me that I have the professionalism, the experience, and the knowledge to do whatever is going to be thrown my way when I show up for work. And that, I think, confidence that comes with that or that self-assuredness or rather the courage that comes with that is so much more valuable. And confidence is even a super misleading word because confidence to me is just like a word that means fearlessness and means like sort of being half crazy, whereas courage is a word that means I'm afraid, but I'm going to push through this anyway, because I know that I'm trained for this. I know I'm ready for this. And I think that's where where my career accolades or the, or the resume or having, having a wonderful agent is, is so helpful, just because it, if I can't convince myself that, hey, show up for work, do the best job, and you're going to make other people's day better. You're going to make something beautiful on screen. If I can't do that for myself, at least there's these little moments in the world that I have to, have to um, look towards. I want to hear a little bit about um, how your anxiety would manifest over the years and um, what strategies, because you have a job where you you have to be very physically present. <laughs> you work with your 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 body and your hands. How does someone who has to be so present and connect with other people in the moment manage anxiety on the job? You know, there's a lot of different ways that I manage anxiety, and it depends on the type of work that I'm doing. If I'm going on live television. Um, what I've noticed is that that's, that's to me, my all-time favorite thing to do. Um, it's fun. It's exciting. But I've also noticed that afterwards, I am so exhausted. It is like as if I ran a marathon. It's, and I think some of that is is that I build it up so much in my mind what the opportunity is to, to mm. share a story or to, to, to share makeup tips with somebody. But it can be as simple as... On this one show, I was with Liliana Vasquez, who's now on the Today Show, and I, I could have been easily overwhelmed by just the magnitude of her personality and her career accomplishments. But instead, I just, really stupid, really simple technique, I looked and noticed how beautiful and white her teeth were. And that just brought a smile across my own <laughs> face, and it distracted me just a enough, just enough, so that then I wasn't, li- and, and here's the thing, it gave me one more ball to juggle in the air. And I think this is why I like doing live TV so much, because if I have to think about the sound bites I've got to do, doing beautiful eyeliner on the model, cheating out front so the camera can see my face and my chest, um, holding the products in a way (laughs) so that you can see the brand name that's sticking out there, and listening to um, to the host during the segment, that's a lot of things to think about all at once. But oddly enough, if I give myself one more thing, um, let's say, like I said, look how nice, look at how nice her hair's got that beautiful wave, or listening to the words she's saying, like, have you ever had this? And, and one more thing to think about is better for me because it means there's less room for the little chimp bunk on my shoulder to make squeaky noises. Andrew, because you have decades as an anxious achiever under your belt, I'd love you to, to share uh, in parting any any uh, strategies that you use if you're on set and you feel anxiety start to build in your chest? Something I come back to again and again is that 
I thrive when I've got more stuff going on in my life. And it is important to like take time to be quiet and be still. But I, one thing that I did during the pandemic was I started my own brand of perfumes and body care. And starting Oracle Jane Station meant that when I would show up on a, my next TV set, that I could more honestly believe that creative decisions or the business of the day was not the end all be all to my creative life. It was not the end all be all to my value as a person, that there was this whole other business on the side that I cared about and loved and was my opportunity later in the day or later in the week to be creative, to have something to take pride in. Um, I, I think it's the same thing happens when people do charity work. You can, you can say there's something else outside of me and outside of this moment that also matters or maybe even matters more. Um, sometimes I also name the voices in my head that speak to me in ways that aren't always truthful. For example, if the day changes and the schedule changes and I've got to rearrange my plans for how, how I'm going to get all the actors through the trailer quickly, I might hear a voice in my head say, God, why are they always doing this to me? Or God, they just can't get their schedule together. And then I just say, okay, chipmunk, go away. <laughs> because, a <little> chip, <laughs> because a little chipmunk is not the vulture who might say horrible, horrible things like you're a piece of garbage, no one likes you, you're terrible at this, you're never going to be loved, you're unworthy of being loved. That's the vulture. And that's a lot to kind of like, that's a little harder to have to battle. But sometimes if it's something simple as like, they ran out of they ran out of the cliff bars that I like. That's like okay, chipmunk, <laughs> we're fine. Just go away. I'll, I'll deal with you later. That's it for today's show. Thank you to my producer Mary Dew. Thanks to the team at HBR. I'm grateful to our guests for sharing their experiences and truths. For you, our listeners, who ask me to cover certain items and keep the feedback coming. Please do send me feedback. You can email me. You can uh, leave a message on LinkedIn for me or tweet me at Mora AM. And if you love the show, tell your friends. Subscribe and leave a review. From HBR Presents, this is Mora Aaron's Mealy.